0: We have a special treat today because Vicki Porterfield is in the house. And so some of you who may not be familiar with Vicky, I just want to uh, explain. Uh, Vicki uh, used to serve with passion uh, out in Atlanta, Georgia. and the leader of the passion movement, his name is Louis Giglio. Uh, she was serving as an intercessor for Louis. And all the music that he does, all the conferences, people like Chris Tomlin, David Crowder. Uh, Louis is pretty much like their spiritual father. Uh, Louis is like their producer. And he does all the uh, involved with raising up these amazing worship leaders and also gathering college students and young people from all over the world, all over the nations uh, to really come together to worship Jesus and to hear his word. And so uh, Vicki was running with Louis for uh, quite a bit. And then recently she has switched over and she is now serving with Devar Partners International. Devar. So in Hebrew, the word Devar means word, the word. And it says here 4.35 billion people in the world, they do not read. How will they engage with God's word? So Devar Partners International, what they do is they help reach unreached people that are illiterate by putting the word of God uh, in an audio form, so that people who have more of an oral language can still get the Word of God. And so wherever there are unreached peoples, uh, Devar uh, Partners International is there to reach them. So right now, her and her husband are uh, involved with Devar. And uh, one thing interesting about Vicky is she lived in Israel for four and a half years. So last time we saw her, she was actually living in Israel. Um, but right now, she has moved to Texas, because I guess Israel didn't have enough barbecue. I don't know. Uh, but they're back in Texas right now. And just to share with you how Vicky has powerfully blessed our church, uh, just to share with you, in December of 2009, when Vicky came through for the first time, uh, I was just having dinner with uh, Vicki. And she just started to really just speak uh, words that I... my I started bearing witness with. And so right away, we're at Ma- Math And I took out a pen and I started writing on the, the placemat of all these things that she was sharing. And some of the things that she, she was sharing was very key. And I put it, I applied it right away. Uh, a couple of things that she shared was, at that time, we had some structure. But we were just kind of going with the flow. And what Vicky challenged me to do was form a core group of leaders. And really surround yourself with them and, and sow into them, pour into them. So have a core leaders and then think about what your non-negotiables are. Because God's going to bring great increase and in fruitfulness in your ministry. But if you don't know what your core values are, if you don't have non-negotiables, when your church grows, it's going to turn into a generic church. A church that just seeks to please the crowds. A church that doesn't really have distinctives. And what I realized after that dinner with Vicky in December 2009 was New Philly has distinctives. And we just needed to identify what they were. And we needed to articulate what they were. And so within six months after that meeting, uh, I formed the core leadership. And so right now we have 11 core leaders. And I also, we also got together and we hashed out the nine core values of our church. Some of you guys know what our nine core values are? Yeah. I know it's a lot, but look, think in chunks of three. Three, three, three. And, you, and psychology tells you, your mind is easily, you can easily remember things in groups of three. Anyway, it's a, uh, for, for example, be extravagant in worship, father the fatherless, freedom is for everyone, the anointing flows from the top down faithful and be faithful in small things roll with the punches supernatural is natural Contend for the kingdom and dream big aren't you proud of us vicky yeah so let me tell you man that those nine core values have made a world of a difference because you know different people we meet different people all the time different people want to partner with us different people want to say what they think is their opinion of where we should go but we are staying faithful to what the Lord has revealed to us. And to, to our leadership, we have been really stewarding that. So anyone who joins leadership, you're supposed to memorize those nine core values. And even people who joined membership and took the membership class last week, I want to encourage you. Memorize those nine core values. Yeah. And uh, after that visit, she came again in July of 2010. It was a powerful day. Whenever Vicky comes to visit New Philly, there's prophetic things happening all the time. And that day was a day where the Lord... I uh, really put it upon my heart uh, to challenge the congregation. Because at that time, our community was very transient. People were coming in, people were leaving. People would work for two years, one year, and then they'd leave Korea. So There's a lot of turnover. It was hard to build community. It's hard to dream big when people are constantly leaving. And what the Lord put upon my heart the week before Vicky came was, I will build my house on tenure commitments. That's what the Lord put on my heart. And so the day Vicky was here, I got up before her message and I said, if the Lord is moving upon your heart to make a 10-year commitment to this ministry, I want you to come forward. And that day, about 14 people from Hillside came forward, about two people from one came forward, and it was powerful. Signs and wonders, people crying, people laughing, people shaking. I mean, Holy Spirit was confirming supernaturally that this was him. Now, people weren't up here like, oh, I wonder if this is what I should be doing. No, people were getting wrecked. All right? And that day, look back on that day. Some of our key leaders who were constantly thinking of leaving, they they ended up becoming uh, very core leaders here at the church. Anita made that commitment that day. Mina made the commitment that day. Caleb made the commitment that day. I guess I was making it by virtue of doing the commitment. <laughs> A lot of key people made that commitment that day. And since then, the cool thing is, today we have over 100 tenure commitments to this ministry across three campuses. To go from 15 to 100 in a couple years, mostly, 95% of them are foreigners, expats, white people, black people, people who have to face all kinds of stares every single week. <laughs> That's what's supernatural about it. And these are people in their 20s, mid 20s, early 30s. These are young people. When Alan Hood from IHOP, one of the uh, senior leaders of IHOP, came through in August, he heard about our tenure commitments and he was so blown away. That's not something you find in many ministries especially from young people. He said, you know, people in their 50s and 60s, if they make a 10-year commitment, it's not a big deal. But he said, when people are willing to give their youth to God, it's really special. Because even Jesus, he said, when Jesus was doing his public ministry, he hung out with 20s and 30s. People in in the the young generation, because Jesus loves hanging out with the young generation. Anyway, and so... That was the day Vicky came, and so you know God has really continued to grow our church since then. And so it's really a pleasure to have Vicki uh, coming through Korea. She's here for a big conference, a missions conference uh, with some big key name leaders, like Hallelujah Church leaders, only pastor. They spoke at this conference, and she was there serving as an intercessor and really engaging with people. And we are glad to have here to have her here today as our guest speaker that's going to bring the word. So let's put our hands together for Vicki Porterfield.
1: Wow, what a packed house. How fun. I uh, wanted to give you a couple of reports uh, before I continue. Uh, Devar Partners, who I'm currently working with, is doing a great job because uh, so many of the unreached people groups in the world are oral people, so they don't have a Bible. <laughs> and so we're producing and uh, making audio scriptures available to them so that when they build their church and find Jesus, often through dreams and visions, um, they're built upon the word instead of an idea or a dream, you know, so they can go back and refer to scripture. So we're seeing just some tremendous things happen. Um, I'm working with some people that are seeing Muslims come to the Lord. We're actually seeing... The movement, you know, to be a church planting movement is just an amazing thing. I was talking with some leaders in northern Africa, and uh, they were talking about the fact that no one from this one particular uh, group has ever, they don't know of any believers ever out of, you know, several million people, probably about 5 million people, none, zero. Um, It's very militant Islam in that area. So people know if they come to know Christ, you will be killed. So that's just, they decide maybe it's better not to do that. Um, However, through one man who had a dream of a man in white who came and loved him, he said, I'll accept Jesus. And he was reached by a worker and that worker secretively helped him learn the scripture And he began to gather other Muslim men, heads of household, and share Christ. They led their families to the Lord. And just beautiful things happened. They gather now in groups of up to 11 people. Cannot be more than 11. This kind of group would be not allowed in that whole region. Only 11. And then they have to multiply and go to another group. The interesting thing is the reason that it can't be more than 11 is because if it gets large, there's too much at risk. So, um, they can only have 11. The, un- the other thing is the person I met an African leader who is, is training just the top four leaders who are then training four, who are then training four, and it, it when it gets to the church planters, they have at most 11 the reason they know no more than 11 people in their circle, even the guy I know only knows of four or five people. That's all he knows. So that if they are ever caught or captured, they can only give the report of four people. You know, they can never say, oh yeah, we know these hundred people or we know these, you know, thousand people or whatever. It's not known. Uh, I know of another group in Jordan, in fact, that's, growing just exponentially. And what happened is several people had visions, came to know Jesus, found a Bible in Arabic, not any Western workers, no Koreans, although I work with a lot of Korean missionaries in <laughs> Jordan, but no Koreans, no Westerners, none of them, these people, but they found a guy they had heard about from the Antioch network, which was out of Texas. And they, they, One of the leaders called him aside and said, hi, I just need to know, need you to know we have about 2,000 people that are following Jesus. But they go to the mosque and they pray to Isa. And we can't tell you who they are. And they can't know that I meet with you. Because this is a totally indigenous group. And it's growing and multiplying. But he said, I don't know what I'm doing. I've only been a believer six months myself and I'm the head of it, you know? So, wow. I mean, it's just, so I want to tell you, I can't, I I met a guy from Sierra Leone who is trained to be the prominent chief, regional Muslim chief of multiple villages. That was his father's role. Then it was his role. Oops. He came to find Jesus first. (laughs) Beautifully in a powerful way. And then it was now what? And he went back to his village and they said, wow, you cannot become a Christian and still become a, you know the prominent chief. So he said, well, I cannot deny Christ. And uh, eventually he was able to share with his relatives who have yet to receive the Lord. However, his father was dying and they said, we definitely need uh, to replace him. They called him in. And they put it, he was in the room with his father in his deathbed. And his father said, I bless you. You follow Isa with everything in you and all your being. And I bless you for doing it. And so he had the blessing of his father to follow Jesus. So now he goes around and shares Christ and leads Muslims to the Lord. The interesting thing is when someone comes to him and says, I want to know about Jesus. He said, I'm not going to tell you. He says, I never lead any one person to the Lord ever. He says, it doesn't work. This is the guy in Sierra Leone, also working in Northern Nigeria, lots of persecution. He says, if you want to know about Jesus, I will come and talk to you and your family. Okay. I will not talk to you alone. Only when you're with your family, will I come and share with you? He says, because it doesn't work to save one. He says, because the persecution is so great and the misunderstandings are so great. So I must go in when someone has interest and save the family. See that the whole family comes to know the Lord. And so we're saving them family by family by family. Awesome. You don't read it in the news, do you? <laughs> so it's a beautiful thing. Um, we. I also, in the States, I, I, I'm still stuck with you guys, these young people. I love it. So uh, I still work with Louis Giglio and Chris and all those guys at Passion uh, writing new music this month uh, for our big event in January. We meet every January. Uh, this year uh, is going to be huge, huge. Um, huge. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's limited. Uh, the passion conferences are limited to ages 18 to 25. So if you're 26, they send your money back. They say, sorry, you can't come. You can only come if you're willing to be a volunteer. So we get a lot of volunteers, uh, That come in to be a volunteer. But when you're a volunteer, that doesn't mean you can go to the meeting. So all these volunteers come thinking, oh, well, we can do all the worship stuff. So we've worried and been concerned that, you know, if we're so limited with such a small age group of young people, you know, we won't have many show up. But this year we're planning an event for between sixty and 70,000 young people. So we're going to fill the Georgia Dome in Atlanta. 60,000 college-age young people. Awesome. <laughs> now, you guys, this is for four days. Okay, so four... You know, you may have been to a passion conference or or if Tomlin comes here or does an event. But when you have four days, <laughs> it's a madhouse. I, I, seriously, just going in the building and out the building, feeding everybody lunch, uh, registering people. Uh, you know, and the only time that you can really buy anything or, uh, do anything really to stand in line is when you want to give. We, uh, are promoting human trafficking and the understanding of human trafficking. If you have a chance, you can actually YouTube all their videos from last year, which are just superb. Um, and they've been on site, um, this year as well. So videos are being produced this month and, uh, we'll have them for the passion event. So you can you know, make sure when you put it in your computer, put passion and put a number twenty thirteen or passion twenty twelve. If you just Google passion, you get things that probably <laughs> you don't need to see. <laughs> um, so, but passion twenty thirteen. We're also um, doing um, human trafficking. Um, President Obama has supported it, uh, CNN will be there, other news me- videos, it's, it's becoming very visible what the college students, Christian college students of America and around the world are doing. We usually have a large contingent, contingency of Koreans, uh, about three or 400 from Korea will come. Um, they don't understand all the, <laughs> the teaching, they always say... It's a little bit much English, but we love the music. (laughs) So they could go after all the music. It is great. Uh, They've changed how they've written music. If you've heard any passion music in the last couple of years, it's written in groups. They gather together over two weekends, three weekends, and they put, you know, all those guys, Matt Redman and Chris Tomlin and David Crowder and Christian Stanfield and Christy Knuckles, and they put them all in a room and say, let's write some music. So some write the verses, some write the melody. some says, oh, yeah, well, we need this little interim in here, and we let's change this, and I don't like those words. Let's redo it. And then at the end, they said, okay, we've all written this song. Who's, who would perform it best? Oh, I think that's Christy. Oh, no, let Chris Toma do that one. Oh, but if you look on there, that doesn't mean they sing the songs that they write. You know, because I noticed on the last CD, Chris Tomlin's singing Matt Redman's song. Matt Redman is singing Christy Knockle's song. Christy Knockle's singing Matt, you know, that kind of thing. So, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. So, you'll hear those songs. You'll sing those songs. God's doing some amazing things in passion. Uh, but I was going to tell you, the only time they stand in line is at the end. We ask people if they want to give towards the effort of human trafficking. We've partnered with probably six to ten organizations and um so we bring. We just say, if you want to give towards that, you you can stand in line, you know, to give. And last year, oh my, I have this radio, you know, and I because I lead the intercession team, and it's like panic. We have got last year. We had forty thousand. We have forty thousand students in line, in a queue. You know what I'm saying? In a queue, in in queues, in huge, wrapped around two miles. You know, round buildings, up and down escalators, around build. I mean, so this year we've got 500 people with iPads. They're going to be taking money and spread out all over. We're hoping we will be able to accommodate this without three hours of standing in line. The interesting thing is if you were to ask a student who wants to give $25, hey, by the way, would you just please uh, step out of line and go eat lunch? Heavens, they will not do it. Absolutely not. So it's pretty overwhelming when you see that many young people like you who stand in line to give. Not to buy. Okay, not for a store, not for an opening of an iPhone. Not, I mean, you know, this is just to give. Isn't that awesome? So God's doing amazing things. Um, amazing things in, in the U.S. and abroad. And uh, we're just excited about what the Lord's doing. Um, today I actually have known for some months what I was going to share with you. Um, the reason is I listened to a cassette tape. Well, it wasn't a cassette tape. I listened to a a podcast actually (laughs) (laughs) showing my age. It wasn't on a cassette tape. I I, I don't even have one of those players anymore. I do have some good tapes, but I can't play them. Um, (laughs) But I was listening to this podcast or this teaching, and when I heard it, I went, ah, that needs to go to New Philly. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just send it to Christian. I thought, no, I think I'll wait. We'll see what happens, you know, uh, not knowing if I'd have a chance to be here. But I was here for this mission, big missions conference, and I said, I've got to stay over a few days. I've got to share this word with you guys. Um, and it has to do with spiritual warfare. And so I thought, well, that's a good place to start with you all, the army of God, isn't it? Um, But the reason is I have been doing spiritual warfare and prophetic intercession for a number of years, since before you all were born. Uh, (laughs) And I've realized that sometimes it doesn't work. I don't know what else to say. Sometimes I'm like, I battle. I claim, I put on the armor of God, I wield my sword, I, uh, I bind, I loose, I, I scream, I shout, I do jump up and down, I do all of those things. Because after all, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force and so I'm, I'm out after it, okay? Now I'm not gonna tell you it doesn't always work. You know, I don't want you to lay, lay it aside. But I'm saying God, I've done some warfare and it just doesn't seem to be effective. I need to know what am I missing? Is there keys that I'm missing when I do spiritual warfare in the manner that I've taught, that I've been taught and taught others? You know, I've done a lot of teaching on spiritual warfare. So I'm like, okay, if I've been teaching spiritual warfare, I got to make sure this works. Um, and I, so I want to share with you, uh, some unconventional, non- Things that you don't usually think about when you think about spiritual warfare. Um, There are usually three battlegrounds or three arenas of of warfare. And that is, first, your mind, right here. (laughs) That's where our warfare, warfare has to happen here. This is what has to get, sometimes our struggle is right here. It's not even out there. It's right here. (laughs) Uh, Do you understand that? Do you ever battle right here with your mind? Yeah? Okay. And number two is in your church, in the church. There's warfare happening because the church has been called by God to, to represent the name of Jesus in the world. And so guess what? There's battle in the church. And in your mother church, it's happening now, right? It's just nothing but spiritual warfare, battle. It's war. And the third is what I would call over a city or a region, a territory. So you have territorial spirits and things that you have to battle because you have territorial spirits or a spirit over soul or a spirit over community or something like that. And you have that kind of region. So we have to deal with all those three levels. Well, I love going to cities and nations. I lived in Israel for several years. You need lots of spiritual warfare there because they live by the law for sure. It's, I I don't know why people would want to ever go back to that. (laughs) I just, just, every day I would just say, oh, thank you, Lord. We don't, we don't live here. But, you know, but the interesting thing was when I was in Israel, I kept saying, God, you know, my husband is here because he's doing a business's mission work for a big company, uh, working with cell phones, actually. So one of his major clients was Samsung. So he'd come back and forth from here to China to Israel. But, uh. I would sit at home and uh, I'm not a sit at home person. And so I was like, okay, we had a little apartment and I'd sweep in the morning (laughs) and I'd wash a load of clothes, which took a long time in these little bitty washing machines and I'd cook. And Oh, once or twice a week I would go downtown to the little town. I lived in Tiberias on the sea of Galilee. Yeah, don't I know. It was like beautiful, <laughs> right? I thought, okay, this is why God picked this for Christ to live. You know, I was right there with Jesus. And I had this beautiful picture window, so I just looked out over the Canaret. Well, I'm sorry, the Sea of Galilee. You guys call it the Sea of Galilee. Israelis call it the Canaret. But um, I would look outside and I would say, God, I don't understand why I'm here. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't get it. Um, there's just really nothing for me to do here. And I lived on Hashemere Street, and I remember saying, you know, it was kind of a new street at the very edge of town, just looking over the cliff and over over the canary. And really, I looked out to the north. So if you've ever been there, I looked out to Capernaum and where uh, all of that stuff happened. Where, Actually, 24 of 27 miracles that Jesus did happened out my front door. So... Yeah, so I could see it all. I walked on water, you know? I mean, I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> anyway, so while I was there, I said, God, I wonder, I was so discouraged. I said, I have nothing to do here. I wanted to live with other Israelis, and so we moved into this apartment building. We lived on the top floor on the seventh floor, but I'm like, what good is it? I don't speak Hebrew. And now like that, I can't even read it because, like, it's not even characters I can read, and it's backwards, you know? <laughs> I thought, this is just, you know, really tough for me. And I would moan and groan. And, uh, (laughs) yeah. And, and a friend called me one day, uh, which that was the other part of the problem is like, I, my phones didn't work and there was no internet. So, you know, you just, and so the TV, there was, yeah, no TV, no telephone and no internet. And I didn't speak English. Oh, Oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you once or twice a week, I would go to town. I would borrow the car, take, John to work, go downtown to try on shoes because that was the only person in town that spoke English was the shoe salesman. So I fell in love with this guy. <laughs> Just talk English to me, please. You know, I got to talk to somebody. I've got too many words that I've got to use today. Uh, the interesting thing was I lived on this road and someone said, you know where you live. You know what that means? And I said, no. And they said, Oh, Hashomer, that means the watchman. I'm like, oh, God, you just get me every time, you know. You just The Lord puts you right where he wants you, isn't it? Well, let me keep going. Let's go back to spiritual warfare. There's my little Israeli story. I got lots of them. Um, but I want to talk to you about some unconventional. Really, I just want to talk to you about one unconventional, which is just not your typical... Um, response to warfare and that is rest. I want to talk to you about rest and the reason I feel it's important to you is because I think it's a challenge for the Koreans. I think it's a seriously, I think it's a special challenge for you to find a day of rest, to spend time at rest and to understand rest. So I'm going to say some things to you that you're going to go, I don't know about that, but I'm telling you, it's right here in this nice book. Uh, And it begins at the beginning in Genesis, actually, chapter two. Uh, After six days of creation, God created man, man, Male and female, he created them and he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Then in chapter two of Genesis, it says this, thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their host. Okay. He finished his work. And by the seventh day, God who had completed his work and all that he had done, he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. That means he stopped working. He ceased from work. He ceased from activity. This was the seventh day. And in Israeli culture, we call it Shabbat. This was their Sabbath. This, And he didn't just say, hey, we need Sabbath as human beings. He took the Sabbath. The very, just think about it. The very first thing that he did with man and woman, Adam and Eve, was he said, we're celebrating Shabbat. We're going to have a day of rest. Now, whenever you want to know what God thinks of any certain word or person, go back to the very first dimension. You know, you go back to the first time it talks about it. Then we have a big clue about what that means. So when we look at this first mention, we see that this is part of God's very character that he continues all the way through scripture, scripture. He is a God of rest and rest is important to him. It is his nature, very nature revealed to us. And we say, we want to be like him conform to his image. Then we need to be people of rest, people of rest. Um, so this is a primary key ingredient to our relationship with God that I have to be honest. I think we leave out. I think we just leave out. We, we talk about his love and his faithfulness and worship and joy and pray, all of these things. We leave out the rest part because it doesn't mesh with our culture. You see, this is one of those things that doesn't work with our culture. Doesn't, so we don't understand it. Um, But God, whenever there is rest, whenever you're in a period of rest, he honors it. He sanctifies it. He calls it holy. It's a special time with him. Rest is a time of peace, calm, being untroubled. No no troubles. You're at rest. You're at peace. So I want to talk to you about some things happening in your life. If you experience rest, if you live a life where you celebrate and walk in rest. First thing, you experience the tangible presence of God. When you're at rest, it's not hype, jump up and down presence, it's a rest that comes over you that says, God is with me. The presence of God comes. And you know this that whenever you experience the presence of God, his voice becomes loud and more clear, doesn't it? You hear him better. You hear him better. Uh, you hear him more clearly. Revelation is increased during a time of rest. You know, many people say, I just want to know what God wants for me to do. I don't know where God wants me to go. I don't know who God wants me to marry. I don't know where I'm supposed to go to college or what job I'm supposed to take. I need revelation. I need God to speak to me. And I'm like, have you stopped? <laughs> Have we found a place of rest in him? Because if we don't do that, we keep moving and going. We don't find, we don't have that revelation. You know, in Ephesians one, it says that we are seated with him in the heavenlies, right? When you sit down, that is a position of rest. Generally, you do not war sitting, right? You, you, you walk, you jump, you dance, you sing, you, you move, you know, but here, here's what he's saying is rest is a type of warfare by sitting with him in the heavenlies, by resting in him. You know, it's a beautiful picture of sitting with God and having that position. I believe rest displaces the very opposite experience. By that I mean, if you're living with anxiety and worry, and you begin to experience rest, rest pushes out that anxiety. It displaces it. Rest displaces fear. It's got to go. Rest replaces frustration. How many of you ever get frustrated? Yeah? Yeah. How many of you have ever experienced fear, anxiety, or worry? Do you ever worry? You need rest. Rest replaces it, pushes it out of your life. Okay? Um, Every experience you walk through, hear me, is an opportunity to experience the rest of God. So if you're going through finals, great. It's an opportunity to experience the rest of God. If you're going through crisis in work, it's an opportunity to walk in the rest of God. If you're going with, through conflict with a friend or family, wow, you get a chance here to make a choice. And to walk in the rest and the peace of God. Okay. It's always available to you. From Genesis at the very beginning. It's always there for you. You can always experience rest. Okay. You never have to say, sorry, there's no rest here. (laughs) It's always, always available for you. I believe that rest can be used as a weapon. A spiritual weapon It can be used against outside enemies by outside enemies. Most of us don't believe that our outside enemies is another person, but an outside enemy would be something from the outside that comes to disrupt your peace. For example, criticism. Yes. Someone criticizes you. That's something that's coming from the outside to inflict pain upon you or questioning, um, any kind of antagonism, uh, Anger, when someone inflicts anger upon you, that's an enemy from the outside that would come against you. And you need your weapon is that of rest, not anger back. Okay. When someone's critical of you, that's coming against you. You take out your sword of rest and you respond in rest. You see, when you're afraid and things are happening around you that cause you to be fearful Take out your weapon of rest and resist fear. Does that make sense? Um, betrayal, rejection, accusation. These are all enemies, folks. These are all the tactics, the lies that come against you. These are all tactics of the enemy that would come against you. Deception that come against you and you can take out the weapon of rest. Okay. And it works Beautifully against that because you could say, well, I'm just not going to go there because you're, when you carry the weapon of rest, you put those away, you cast them out because you have partnered with rest and peace. I'm going to live in peace. And I'm reminded, um, of a story of Richard Wormbrandt. I don't know if you know who he is. He was, he started the, um, Ministry called Voice of the Martyrs. He lived in, I think, Romania, behind the Iron Curtain. Under persecution, I believe he was in prison for over 20 years. Horrific, horrific torture and prison. They beat him regularly. Multiple times, he he said, you know, I don't mind being put in prison because just think of all the ones I can testify to that need Jesus. So he used it as a wonderful opportunity... To build the church in prison. Uh, And so he didn't mind being in prison. But he was starved. He was beaten. And multiple times he was put before a firing line. And there with men who had weapons and rifles pointed at him. Several at one time. They would pull the triggers. And something would go wrong with the gun. They would have multiple guns. And he says, yeah, he would just smile. And he says, you cannot kill me. Not until God says it's my time. He was a man at peace. So with all of the enemies outside him, he had peace within. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be angry, he would say. I don't have to be vindictive. I don't have to be anxious or fearful. Because I know that you cannot kill me until it's my time. I think of Jesus. You know, when they said, wow, the, the, the persecutors would come against him. And he says, you can do no harm to me unless the Father allows it. So was Jesus fearful? No. Was he anxious and worried? No. Was he betrayed? Yes. But he had rest within he had rest within that confidence, the peace within, um, going back to Richard Wurmbrandt. One of the stories I read is when he, they found out how many people he was leading to the Lord. They were very distressed in the prison. So they told him he would have to go to solitary confinement and he would have to go underneath in a dungeon. be put in a small little five by five foot cell and stay for months because they didn't want his influence in the prison. When they were dragging him through the hallway, taking him to solitary confinement, he noticed that out of the wall, there was a nail and he took the nail with him and he just went on down to solitary confinement. But when he got into solitary confinement, there was a pipe that ran through his little cell and he knew Morse code. So he tapped the scriptures for eight months until he got out of solitary confinement and found out how many people he led to Jesus <laughs> through Morse code. Now that awesome. That's a man at rest. That's just like taking every opportunity that you have. You just say, God only, only you could do something like that, but he was not anxious nor fearful because God only brought opportunities for him to share the word and lead others to him. Isn't that beautiful? But that's but you know, we need to under we need to hear stories of men and women at rest who truly have a reason to be angry, conflicted and hurt. Um I want you to know, we, we talk about Philippians 4 Verse six and seven, and you know it, but I'm going to want to, I want to read it to you exactly because this is the passage where it says, be anxious for nothing. Let's see. Let me get to you exactly. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There it is again. The peace of God, a weapon, the rest of God, it's a weapon. It's guarding your heart. It's guarding your mind. And I already told you, I believe, and you agreed with me, that is one of the places we've got to deal with spiritual warfare. It's very difficult to go out and do spiritual warfare for your church or for others or do spiritual warfare for your city or nation or when you're on a mission trip if, You haven't dealt with it here. If you're still wrestling in your own mind with fear, anxiety, panic, we've never seen so many people in America have panic attacks, severe depression, these kinds of things. We've got to find ways to say, God, I can be at rest with you. Because as we sang this morning, you love me. Oh, how he loves you. Amen. Oh, how he loves us. You know, there's a peace and a contentment and abiding in his love, abiding in his rest that we need. Uh, In the Old Testament, we see the importance of having a Sabbath rest. I'm sad to say that most of us have abandoned it in our cultures. We don't do it in America, and I don't think you do it here. But a day where we can say we're setting aside this day to be at rest, at peace with God. We'll read the word. We'll be with our family. We'll have an easy meal because we're not going to cook a lot. Before, you know, I loved Friday night. I love Fridays, you know, in Israel. It was was easy to celebrate Shabbat in Israel because everyone did, you know. I mean, and at about mm, 3 o'clock, everything closes. Everything closes. (laughs) Um, And people don't drive. So you know you don't drive, you don't go anywhere, and you don't cook, except on Fridays during the day. In the morning, you go to the grocery. It's packed on Fridays, and you get challah bread. That's that twisted bread. Okay, you always get fresh challah bread because I make it that morning. Only is good for a day. Gets dry the next day, so we get we all we buy the challah bread that morning, and the apartment building. Oh, smells so good. Everybody all over town is cooking. You know, it's like Thanksgiving or, you know, some, some day of the year when everybody's cooking. So everybody cooks all day. It all smells so wonderful. And then Friday night, you bring your friends or nearby family, whoever lives near you because you're walking. So you, you all get together and share your meals together. And all the kids, all the kids come uh, because it's a family thing and the kids come and the parents come. And you know, one of the things I love about it, the, the evening begins at sundown and the mother has the role of lighting two candles and saying, this is the light of the Sabbath, the light of Jesus. Really? This is the light of the Sabbath. You will light for us this night and we bless this food and we thank you for our family. And then they all eat and they share a glass of wine And they have fun and they tell stories and they joke around and they talk about Jesus and they talk about their week. And they are the end of the meal. The father stands up and he blesses his wife. He comes and he stands next to his wife and he thanks her for being a mom and a wonderful wife. And he blesses her and he asks the children to do the same. Every you guys, every Friday night we do this. Every Friday night. So my husband and I, though not Jewish, we thought, hey, this is pretty good. You know, we, this, we should do this. <laughs> you know, we loved Friday night. Uh, it was special. But you could smell it in the air on Friday mornings. And then instead of saying hello during the day, every person you saw, you said sh- Shabbat Shalom. Instead of Shalom, meaning hello, peace be with you, we say Shabbat Shalom. Peace be with you on this Shabbat. And, um, and then Saturday, you played outside. you, you know, and, and one of the wonderful things I love is the men always pushed the carriage and always pushed the baby, the, the, the strollers. And uh, it was really a macho thing. I mean, it was really a masculine thing. If guys could push strollers and carry babies, it was like somehow they were just more of a man, you know? I mean, it was, this was, this was not, this was not woman's work. This was, I'm not kidding. You. It was great. You know, and these guys loved it. And these, and I, and you know, I'm telling you mo- all the young men were, were military. They w- have all been in the military so they can all push, you know, the 200 pushups and they can, f- they have to learn how to swim five miles and how to run 50 miles and all of these things. And they're, they're buff. I mean, they're hot. They're just good looking. You got to make me blush. <laughs> But the thing is, but they pushed baby strollers. I mean, to tell you, that was, you know, they get out of their car and they had two strollers and car seats and one on their back and holding one because they all had multiple kids. And this just made them more attractive. You know, this just I mean, women loved it. And 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 men were proud of it. I mean, this is a big deal for a man, you know, to have plenty of kids and push those strollers. And so on Saturday mornings, you know, no more cooking. You don't cook on Saturdays, you know, we did the cooking for Friday night. And so we just have leftovers on Saturdays and you know, you don't even really warm it up. You just have a few sandwiches and leftovers, no working, no cooking, no cleaning, no, no going anywhere, no working. Um, you rest, You talk about the Lord, you read scripture. That's it. Just a day of rest. Don't you think we should do this? You know, you can't always do it. You know, we have it on Sundays. So you might, but find a time. If you can't do a whole day, find a half a day. It restores your soul. God says it restores your soul. He even says that land should have a period of rest. Okay. He says it needs to be restored, renourished. nourished The nutrients have to come back to the land instead of just planting crop after crop year after year after year. He says it needs a rest. If land needs rest, we need rest. This land right here, this territory, me, my brain. And what I found out is if I took my day of Sabbath with my husband and I and our friends, we got more done during the week. We got more accomplished and we had peace. There was rest in us. It would be just, you know, it's like having sleep at night. You know, we need sleep at night. If you have no sleep at night, you don't function well. You don't function well during the day. You don't function well at all. So we need those times of rest um, for many, many reasons. It's just real essential. Um, I believe rest is a way we celebrate who God is. Um, We can worship during times of rest and, and just enjoy the one who created us and loved us and set us free. Amen. We just need to hear and receive the love of God. And sometimes we just don't take time to do it. And it happens during quiet. I love, I love Koreans. Y- y'all are my kids. I love you guys. But you know, sometimes when you meet God, you have to pray out loud all the time. And I'm like, just be quiet for a minute, okay? God is in the house. Just, Just, sh- 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 just be quiet. There's time for rejoicing. There's time for Thanksgiving. But I'll tell you what, the character of God that we have lost is the understanding of his rest. And without it, we are struggling. We struggle with our mind. We struggle with activity. We've got to do and go and be. And man, it's just so much. Expectations are so high. Um, I believe that when you rest you get some friends that come along with rest. All the fruit of the spirit goes with rest. You rest with love. You rest in joy. You rest in peace, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, kindness. All of these things are part of rest. You know, so we need to find ways. Hey, we want the, you want the fruit of the spirit? Yeah. Then we need to find times of rest because that's when they come. And they, they just light up the best. You know? Love doesn't shine in an environment of anxiety. Joy doesn't flow over with lots of noise. Being faithful requires rest. Just saying, God, I trust you. And the enemy has no hold on me. Just like the example of Richard Rembrandt. The enemy has no hold on me. I can rest in him. And the last fruit of the spirit, of course, is self control. Nothing leads us into self control more than rest. Okay, because we determine who controls and what controls us when we're at peace. When we're anxious, it's, I got to please them. I got to do what they say. I got to hear what they have to do. I've got to make the, meet these demands and those demands. But when you have real self-control, that means you control what comes in you, not someone else. Not the devil, not men, not even church. When you determine what impacts your life, you're at rest. So rest and self-control is a powerful weapon. Um, in Hebrews 3. I'm going to read a passage of scripture that, you know, because I want to, I I want you to see just how critical rest is. It starts in verse seven, Hebrews three, seven. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today. Today, that's today, what is today, December 2nd, December 2nd, today, December 2nd, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me as in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their heart as they did not know my ways as i swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest take care brethren lest there should be in any one of you an evil unbelieving heart in falling away from the living god but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and going down it says in the verse 19 And so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. They could not enter his rest because of unbelief. What I want to say to you is entering his rest requires belief. Entering his rest requires faith. That's all it takes. God, I believe you. God, I believe you. I believe what you say about me. I believe what you say in your word. God, I can be confident of your promises because of what you've said about me. I believe you. And because I believe you, I can be at rest. I can be at peace. And I can do that today. Today. And we can do it tomorrow. And the next day. This indicates it just doesn't just come one time. you got to do it today. Every day. God, I choose to enter your rest. I choose to believe you. I choose to believe what you say about you and what you say about me. I choose to believe what you have. My identity is in you. I choose to believe that. Okay. Today. Well, let me just say this. Who you are on the inside really defeats the enemy more than anything you do on the outside. Let me say it again. Who you are on the inside defeats the enemy more than what you do on the outside. So sometimes when the enemy is roaring, accusations are coming, people are angry, lots of difficulty and striving around you. And lots of problems, sometimes you just have to say, look at who I am, Lord. Who I am on the inside defeats all of that. I'm not entering that. I refuse to worry. I refuse to clamor. I refuse to go there. Today, I say no to negativity. Today, I say no to anxiety. Today, I say no to fear. I say no, I refuse worry. I take out rest and say, I'm at peace. I'm not at worry. Rest is available to you when? Today. Today. That doesn't mean you have to go out and do a whole lot of things today so you can rest tomorrow. It means today you can be at rest. Now, This doesn't mean you are not loud and joyful and delighted in God, okay? I'm just saying we need times of quiet and rest and peace and rest as well. Rest is focusing more on believing God than believing yourself or believing your circumstances. Rest comes from really being grateful, thankful, just sitting down and saying, God, I love you. God, I love you. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for this. I'm at rest in you. I'm confident in you. I know who I am. I'm confident. So today, I want to pray for you. Can I do that? Uh, I want you to stand if you say, I have problems right here with warfare in my life, in my brain, in my mind. I struggle with anxiety, worry, fear. I struggle with accusations. I struggle with who God says that I am. If that's you, stand up. If you've ever had panic attacks, depression, just you've struggled in your mind with who you are. You struggle with circumstances coming round about you and affecting your peace. Stand up. I want to pray. Lord, it's today. (laughs) Today we hold up a weapon. A weapon of rest. Put it in your hands. Hold it up. We hold the weapon of rest. And Lord, we wield it against the devil. And his accusations and the anger that comes against us. Father, we wield it against our circumstances. And all negative things. Father, I ask that you break all panic, all fear, all anxiety. We curse every single thing that disables you as a believer. And Father, we speak rest. Father, I speak rest to each one. I said be happy with yourself. God loves you. It's not up to what your parents think. Or what a church thinks. Or what a teacher thinks. Or what a friend thinks. Just receive what God says about you. And be at rest.